Hey, you guys. So I have a very special episode for you all. In this episode, or the first episode of 2019, also known as episode nine, I am actually taking the chair as a guest in my own podcast, (laughs) which is pretty interesting. It's a little weird not being the main host, but it was a lot of fun. Here I am interviewing, answering questions about my second book, The Serpent's Rattle, which is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. If you guys are interested, um, it is available in ebook version and also paperback. And I'm here answering questions. Uh, I just want to let you guys know that The Serpent's Rattle does have a trigger warning because it is about domestic abuse, child abuse, rape immigration barriers, and then the overcoming. So without further ado, here's this different interview. You're listening to, I mean, can we discuss? And I am your host, Astrid Ferguson. We will be discussing different issues that can be debated, articulated, chopped up any kind of way. There's no real set way to this. It could be culturally, it could be socially, it could just be how we're feeling today. So you're here for the randomness and I hope you're here to stay. So remember to subscribe, share, and tell me what you think. I came up with a while ago, but that's not my podcast. I don't know. <laughs> but I am unbothered and undefined, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of energy we need because I'm bothered and maybe undefined. I don't know. <laughs> Why are you bothered? It's team. People, I, that's how you know we're going to make it, y'all, because I feel like we all were tested in the beginning of 2019. And to right. me, that means the devil's like, oh, nah, they realize their potential. That's how I'm taking it. Every okay. day, I'm like, oh, devil, you really working. You really working hard. He really is. Yes, and the devil stays busy. Yes, he does. And today, this whole entire week, people just been coming at me crazy, and I'm just over it. I'm so over it. But I meditated so that I could be here. (laughs) (laughs) We're happy to have you here. Yes, we're happy to have you here, Shay. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, well. And I will be interviewed by both Shay, Tyler, Jacobs. Make sure you say the Tyler in there. And, um, <laughs> and Lynn Patterson. Yay. Yeah. So I guess that's my cue. Mm-hmm. All right. So welcome, everyone. This is Lynn or at Poetry and Things on Instagram. And um, we are so excited to interview Astrid Ferguson today to talk about her book, uh, The Serpent's Rattle, which was our December read. Um, Astrid is a 33-year-old poet from Pennsylvania or from the Bronx, but living in Pennsylvania. Um, I'll let you talk more about where you're from, Astrid. She is an author, blogger, novice photographer, and rookie podcaster. Um, (laughs) She is a mother of two boys, and she is also a wife. Astrid, um, why don't you go ahead and tell us more about yourself? Okay. Um, Well, 
I am originally from Dominican Republic. I was born in Dominican Republic. Um, I'm my father's also Haitian, so I'm both Haitian and Dominican. Um, we migrated to the United States. I can't even really say that I'm from the Bronx anymore because <laughs> <laughs> I've lived in PA as long as I lived in New York. So it's mm. kind of like I'm split at this point, but I grew up in New York between the boroughs of Manhattan and the Bronx. And then we migrated to Pennsylvania, Reading, PA. We have any Berks County in the house, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, moved to Philly, and now I'm married with children. So, yeah. Cool. Hey. <laughs> yeah. You've been popping throughout, so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we are so excited to talk about your book, but before we do that, um, we would also like to introduce our special guest, Cheyenne Tyler Jacob. Cheyenne, can you also tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, hi everyone. Yes, I'm Cheyenne Tyler Jacobs, or um, she will speak on Instagram. So first and foremost, thank you both so much for having me on today. I'm so excited to be interviewing Astrid and talking about this book. Um, I love it and I love well I'm not gonna spill too much because it's your interview but y'all are all gonna love it um, mm-hmm. so I published my second book 2018 the tragic type of beautiful and right now I'm working on the first book of the she will speak series um, our first anthology is gender-based violence it has been amazing emotional and so interesting to actually go through the submissions we have um actually to the point where some of the youth i've worked with they've asked if they can read some of it and the conversations that have been sparked have left me speechless so i'm very excited um for everyone who submitted especially you two um because i know you both submitted to it so um just know and this is just for everyone that you know our work does make an impact you know even if we think we just wrote down three lines those three lines can mean the world to somebody so yes so true um that is like a perfect segue into our uh first question which is Astrid what inspired you uh to write this collection um well it was kind of a a series of things when I published my first book Malt Um, I was in a dark place. I was getting over postpartum depression and it was like I put a little like little pieces of every place in my life. So the first chapter of Malt, which was Sloth, kind of gives you a preview of the serpent's rattle. Um, I didn't know at the time that I would write the serpent's rattle the way that I did Um, but I got a ton of questions and I got a ton of people saying oh my god I didn't know that you had gone through all of this I wish you would have expanded more on this and I struggled with it at first because like I never talk about it there's some there are quite a few things in this book that I never said aloud um so it it took a lot to put it out there and seeing how repetitive it is like domestic violence and rape and it was like a constant conversation 
I was like, you know what? I think it's time that I finally um, just bring it to light. Mm. Mm. Um, how did you feel about some of those like questions that came up as you were as you were writing the book or thinking about writing it? Well, some of them, I guess I had I was in the state of putting everything in the back burner, like denial, I guess, because I just didn't want to deal with it. So when I got the questions, it kind of brought back memories that I was like, you know what, that was a really, really dark time. And there was a time like when I was writing the book that I actually was saying I wasn't going to do it. I was actually going to like give it all up. And then I, of course, you know, I, I reached out to you guys and then actually my poetry sis, Nia Mora, she was the one who said, you need, you need to write it out. You need, you need to give yourself healing. Um, and I saw it was, it was a video by Terry. I forget what his name is, but I didn't know that he lived in violence and seeing his video talking to them, to the victims, I was like, you know what, if he can do that, then I need to do this. Terry Crew, I think was his name. Mm. Oh, Terry Crews. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have it on my my Instagram, the Terry Crew, where he was saying how he grew up in violence and you know how how big he is. So his father used to beat his mother and he said he used to wet the bed until he was 14 because that's how afraid he was mm-hmm. for his mother. So would you say um I guess one of the most difficult parts about writing this was that initial aspect of having to, in a sense, come to terms and come out of that denial stage of, wow, I'm actually going to admit what is happening to me and not only admit it, but I'm going to write it down now. Yes, it was it was coming to terms with a lot of emotions that I didn't even say aloud. Like, I felt like you hear stories constantly from the victims, but you don't really get to hear the stories of the children of the victims. Mm-hmm. You don't get to, like, it's hard to say, but when you're the child in the victim, in in the situation, you grow, like, hating everything including the victim and the predator um and those are not nice things to say like there are some things in here that I wrote that I pictured my mom's standing in front of me and me saying these things to her and they just I don't know just took me to a place where that if we sat somewhere I know I would hurt her you know Hmm. so that was hard um so for that reason were you um at all like afraid of who who in your like personal life would get their hands on it like was it 
therapeutic and healing for people that know you in real life to to know um you know the impact that these things have had on you um talk to us a little bit about that um yeah it was a little bit of both the sad part is that the people who I grew up with they knew it was going on I mean it was normal all of my pretty much most of my mother's friends were being beat as well um and it was just like a conversation of well it wasn't that bad today Hmm. um so it's not like they didn't know it's not like they weren't exposed to it I just don't think they knew the magnitude of it Mm -hmm. um I don't think they knew that it wasn't just my mom who was a victim it was also me you know um and it ex- it it extended as well to you because you know it was three of us um i found out that you know my sister also experienced some parts of it but to protect her as well i didn't say like this was her story so a lot of the things in here are just are not just my story they're also like everyone in our family like how we were affected so it was healing in a way and uh, I actually like the way that you just said that that you know even when sometimes I feel as people we don't think you know we think it's isolated like you said like you know it was oh well this was what was happening with my parents but even as the children you know you're watching it but you're also learning and in some cases you know you are not even in some cases you are a victim of it as well and you know I really do like the way that you just said that because I feel like when some people look at these situations they think well you can detach from it and you can't you know it'll always be in the back of your head even if it's a subconscious thought and I think that actually would be you know a great interlude to one of the pieces that you actually selected to read to us for today <laughs> Way to put me on the spot, Shay. Yeah. <laughs> Love you. You know I do. Yeah. Facts based upon statistics from the nation's leading grassroots voice on domestic violence and the National Domestic Violence Hotline statistics. Anywhere between 10 to 12 million people a year are physically abused by an intimate partner. More than 20,000 calls are placed a day to domestic violence hotlines. 20% of women in the United States have been raped. More than one in three women, 35.6%, and more than one in four men, 28.5% in the United States alone, have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. 30 to 60% of predators of intimate partner violence also abuse children in the household. So let me me try to get through this without breaking down. I tried to practice before I got on here. So here's Kirk Roll. And we're sending we're sending you lots of love and healing as you work through through this. And we appreciate your vulnerability. Oh, thank you guys. Okay, so 
I hated the way you followed him around like a mouse without a colony. I hated the way you accepted his words like some unwritten policy. I hated you. I, I hated how you continued to sleep in the same bed as him, knowing he watched my shower head, knowing, knowing, knowing he touched me, he stalked me, he hit me, all while he was supposed to be working. I hated, hated, hated the way you broke into a million pieces every time you warned to leave. You died inside, an empty soul lived behind your eyes, frailty and osteoporosis filled, occupying your physicality. Somehow your tongue still kept a burning flame, a conviction for not doing chores right, something your children had to pay. Teachers would ask me to define role models. I couldn't think of a single one. I only had the perfect example of whom I wouldn't become. I hated, hated, hated the boiling lava oozing to reach a river of pasteurized hate. How could he hit you, smack you around as if you had flies on your face, throw you against drywall, step on you like concrete beneath his feet? How could you tolerate this? How could you sacrifice me and leave me with no bulletproof vest? How could... How would, he could call you crazy. It was his favorite line of judgment when his fangs needed to replenish its venom. I hated begging, asking, pleading you to leave while your response was always consistent. Little girls shouldn't get an adult's business. Mm. I hated, hated, hated the collection of bruises on your face, the pouring outrage of your of your cries due to his unwanted penetration, ongoing rape, your legs running, your hair breaking from the pulling, the stress, the miscarriages. I hated, hated, hated how dismantled you became believing this lifestyle was normal. I guess that is what happens when your friends accept the same. I hated how you tried convincing me this was love as if bunnies could live in cages with anacondas and live to tell the next day. I tried keeping these words a secret, these feelings dug in a pit, allowing their demons to spread toxins around my voice, keeping me silent in bitterness. Every time you forced me to call him father, when you both weren't worthy of my acknowledgement, treating me like Cinderella, an unpaid sitter, a free translator. I hated, hated, hated caring about you so much. I hated calling you a relative. It's how little girls build walls around things that are not okay. Mm. Thank you for sharing that with us, Astrid. Thank you, yes. That, wow. Um, yeah. I have a follow-up question for you. So I know that um, reading it and performing it is uh, difficult. What was your experience like when you were writing it? I cried through it. <laughs> I cried through it and I kind of let the emotions take over. And then when I 
when I wrote it, I, you know, you do your editing, but every time I read that one, it was, it was hard to swallow because I could still feel the emotions. I could still see, you know, the days because I like, I think that was one of the things that took me the longest to overcome was the fact that I honestly hated my mother. Like I blamed her for being in this situation. Like I, like he, he, like I know like my stepfather was the predator, but I blamed her for not leaving. I blamed her for not being strong enough. I blamed her for not protecting me um for forcing me to kind of pick up where she lacked because while she was broken down and into pieces I had to take on the role like I was a mother mm-hmm. and take care of my siblings and walk them to school and protect them from seeing what I saw or what I knew because I was much older you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I was like I'm like how come my friends get to go outside and laugh and, and, and just have a childhood? And here I am a grown up in a little girl's body. Wow. Now, have you, I know, um, like you said that this poem definitely raises those emotions and those feelings. I don't know if you even have in the past, but has this poem, you know, brought up even the thoughts of, having those conversations with, you know, um, just family members in general or has, you know, when you wrote it, did it kind of spark that conversation? Or I believe Lynn even asked that in the beginning, having people kind of read it and be like, wait, what was happening? Um, and like, where are you, I guess, in the sense of, you know, even being okay right now with having those conversations? Um, well, uh, like... I could have those conversations with like my siblings because we lived through it and I had to have those conversations um, especially with my sister because for her it was even harder because the predator was her father. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. here I was full of hate but I can't even say aloud like how much I hate your father because that's still her father, you know? Mm. So now that we're adults, we could, we shared like some things that we didn't know because I always protected them. But then when I left, she was the next one in line. Mm -hmm. So it sparked the conversation between us and then things that we decided we wouldn't allow as women. Um, But as far as my mother, no, she, and I think that's what happens. Um, I always say predators always know who to choose for their victims Mm. because my mom still denies some of the things or she tries to put a blanket over things of what happened Mm -hmm. and then when you try to be honest about certain things she says you know kids are ungrateful and Mm -hmm. they don't see the sacrifices that their parents make and that's where we have a difficult time 
talking because I'm like, I'm a mother too. And, and that's one sacrifice I chose not to take. I'm not sacrificing, sacrificing my kid because I think I'm in love with somebody who constantly inflicts pain on me and not think that they wouldn't inflict pain on my own child. Um, I want to talk about the book as a, as a whole, cause, um, I mean, the book as a whole deals with some heavy themes. Um, what was, uh, and Shay kind of asked this earlier, but what was one of the more difficult things about putting the book together? Not necessarily like the themes and the content of it, but just of putting all of this into one like collection like the arrangement yeah yeah um well i didn't i didn't want the book to sound like oh i hate my mom (laughs) 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 my book might sound like that girl not my mom but yeah but that's okay (laughs) i didn't i didn't want it because like we're in a good place i'm not gonna say that she was bad like all bad the situation was bad but yeah but you know as a person she's not a bad person like she did she did the best she could with what she had you know um uh so i didn't want it to sound like oh it's just just me hating my mom and i didn't want it to be like um just one sided of domestic violence and rape and stuff i wanted i wanted it to be like a voyage like I wanted you to see how culture has an impact on this. I wanted you to see how the breakdown, like the different kinds of serpents is not just a a person you live with, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that dismantles you. There is racism that you come across. There is uh, language barriers and people will treat you like that they'll take advantage of you like there's all kinds I just invented the character the serpent Mm -hmm. to describe the different people that can hurt you not just physically but emotionally and tear you down um and then I wanted I wanted to paint the story of how they come into your life and usually they come into your life when you're in a state of vulnerability where you're going through a lot of bad times like difficult storms and we seek love in the wrong places yeah um your book is broken up in um into sections Mm -hmm. and correct me if i'm wrong is each section is like symbolizes a serpent. Yes. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, when I first was going to write the book, it was going to be about a rattlesnake in my room. So I did research on how a rattlesnake constricts its prey and how Mm. the venom enters the body and what it does to the body. So I took pieces from that and I used, I guess, the process as the process of what victims go through before they become a survivor. 
Wow. So we had some research going on too. I always yeah. do. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to <laughs> No, honestly, I I definitely I know I love that and I know Lynn loves that. Um because mm-hmm. that just goes to show that everything has a meaning, even down to mm-hmm. how it is arranged in the names. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess a question I also had um when you were talking about the aspect of culture, and this is kind of not to say off topic from the book, but I know, especially since you are someone who likes to research and have those conversation is how do you even still feel like today, um, especially us, even on this podcast, we're all minority women, you Mm. know, and in the black and Latina community, the aspect of sweeping these stories under the rug. And how do you feel that, you know, your work is starting to counteract that? And if we still sweep these things under the rug, because I feel like sometimes, you know, people have different opinions on that. Well, the reason why I wrote it is because we still make it seem like it's okay. And that's part of the problem. Like, I can't tell you that I knew of a lot of Hispanic families where the the wife, not even wife sometimes, sometimes they just hook up with each other and call themselves that. They don't even actually marry each other. And they get beat on. And that's like normal. No one, no one runs to the phone and calls or for help or anything like that. And it's like a pathology that keeps continuing. Like, like it's almost like you should expect to be beaten because you're not submissive as a woman. And you have to accept a man cheating on you because your mama was cheated on and your grandma was cheated on and it's just like and I'm like I've had enough like no I, this is not okay why would we keep making it seem like it's okay and that was another reason why I was like I wrote it the way that I did because I'm like how many kids didn't go through this daily And they still do. So I'm like, yeah, we need to have these conversations. We need to address the things that go on within our own communities. We need to fix the things that happen internally before we try to tell people externally how they should treat us. What I wonder, um, because one of the things that was really rewarding for us um, as readers was just to see like how you incorporated all of these themes, not just, you know, chapter by chapter, but each, each sort of poem is like intertwined with, um, you know, thinking about how culture has, um, impacts like domestic violence, how it impacts, um, motherhood and, you know, dreams of, that we have for our children, like in such nuanced ways. Um, And that was really rewarding um, as a reader for you as an author, what has been the most rewarding part of releasing the book? Well, the rewarding part is that I can finally say I talked about it because um, for a long time I stood silent and it's because I would get angry when I would hear people justify it, you know, or I would get angry when people wouldn't talk about it as a whole, like 
is not just women who get beat men get beat and when a when a man gets beat like he's just he's just being a pussy or like you know what i'm saying mm. the whole double standard thing so the fact that it wasn't like rejected as soon as it came out and people were actually intrigued by it and actually sparked conversation I felt like as an author I did my due diligence because that was my objective um so Astrid you also have a burgeoning um spoken career and have been doing readings um how and when did you start doing that (laughs) I started doing spoken word last year like right right after I published Malt in my mind when I published Malt all I was gonna do was put a book out and I don't know why I thought that (laughs) it was just going to sell without me doing any marketing I didn't even share that I did poetry like like poetry was always my way of healing from all of this crap that happened on a day-to-day basis so everything I had in like diaries and journals but people never knew that I actually loved poetry and I did poetry and my husband was the one who said how do you expect to sell a poetry book if you don't do spoken word So I did my first piece and it was about mental health. My nephew is autistic. And I said, if I'm going to do this, let me do it for him. And I was sweating profusely because I suffered from serious stage fright. I mean, here's this girl who never used to talk. I was always silent. I always got in trouble for not talking. (laughs) (laughs) and I'm gonna go on stage and become vulnerable and and share my poetry that I never shared before and my husband was there as a vendor and everything glad you know luckily I did it well um even though people didn't know that I was shaking in my pants and sweating Mm -hmm. um and that's how my spoken word poetry career I guess started How does the um, stage differ from the page for you? Well, the page doesn't really talk back or you can't see it. It's just your emotions. Um, On stage, it's more intimate because your possible reader, fans, whoever are getting to know you at a level that sometimes not even your closest relatives or or significant other knows you um so when you go on stage it's like you have to prepare yourself that you're not there to take anything you're there to give so that's the preparing that that occurs like a book you know, somebody can read it. You may not even know that they read it unless they leave you a review and you don't really get to know them like that. They get to know you through your words. But on stage, you're there face to face. Shay, does that resonate with you as well? 
Yes. Oh, that's good. That sounds like a whole nother topic itself. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yes. Yep. Take note of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel it does. I feel that some, in some ways, I don't want to say the word hide because I don't feel like I hide behind when I write on the page. But I feel in some ways it's easier to say the things I can't speak because someone's reading it. Right. Well, like, you know, exactly. I feel like what Asher's been saying, standing up there and going, this happened to me. It's kind of like, oh, y'all are looking at me. You're waiting for emotion. You're like, oh, my people were like, oh, my God. And I guess a question I have in a sense, because I kind of do it. Um, are there some poems that you feel when you write, you immediately know this is a page versus a stage? Yeah. Are there still poems like being prepared? Because I personally have poems that are still here waiting for me to have, I guess, that healing to even take them on the stage. But I could easily post them like on my social media, but ask me to read it out loud. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, usually my shorter poems are just to be read. Um, my longer poems, I wrote it like I'm having like a full-blown conversation and I know that I'm gonna say it on stage um the ones where I'm more vulnerable on it's like it's like a tug of war with the page it's like you 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 stamp it as a possibility and then when you say it to the mirror you're like nah I'm not ready yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it really depends. And then it depends on, I guess, the crowd. Like, if it's going to be well-received. That's so, I mean, you guys know that I am not particularly fond of myself getting on a stage. But um, for me, when I, especially with my long, longer poems, I usually have two versions. And one of them is like leans more on like literary device and the other one is more like narrative and storytelling and Mm -hmm. that's the one that I picture myself like reading or it may be even be like the first version where I then go like deeper into it um just to try to make it like give it a little bit more like depth with my words um and so it's interesting that how differently we all sort of conceptualize like when we write poems to be read aloud or or spoken versus uh, reading them mm. right. or writing them, I should say. Um, well, Astrid, we would love to hear, you know, this one is my favorite poem <laughs> that you are going to share with us. I love it so much. And also it was very popular um, in the book club that we had with your book. And something that I love about this poem is that whether you are performing it, reading it, or it is being read, it has so much power. And I'm excited for the listeners to get to hear it. I'm excited because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like my hoops big. My ears wear them like proud signs. Latina. I like to wear bracelets by the pack. My wrist prefers them over the woven baskets. My mother and her mother and her mother and the generations of mothers carried before me. A mí me gusta mi arroz mojado, con habichuela y aguacate, con la ensalada en el mismo plato. Yo cocino con salsa de tomate. Aquí se come hasta las patas de gallina. 
I like to wear long skirts with tropical colors so you can tell I'm foreign and remember the women who work the fields. I like to wrap my hair in red, white, and blue so you can understand my flags weren't worthy to carry star-spangled banners. I like to gloss my full lips for I'm like the limoncillos that sweat in the sun. First, you must bite into me y lamber mi semilla si quieres endulzar tu lengua. I like to wear my hair in curves. I pick its authenticity to increase the volume of Creole that broke French bondage. I learned to speak the English tongue so I can tell my people immigration is a design to keep the lie expanding, a lie that what was stolen must be kept by denying us passage. I'd like to invite my friends to sit at our table. Let us discuss the wine we toast, made out of the blood and tears of ourselves we call chocolate. This is Afro-Latina fashion. I'm snapping. <laughs> I know I don't know if y'all can hear me, but I'm snapping. <laughs> I, every time I hear it. So it was in, it's been interesting to um to see different audiences and how they connect to it. Because the first time I heard you perform this was at the Wide Eyes publishing mm-hmm. launch party. And when you started speaking Spanish, everyone was like, yes, because the, <laughs> the type of Spanish that you're speaking, um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? You were explaining this in our book club. Yeah, I try to speak the Spanish like how we commoners, the Dominicans, speak day to day instead of speaking the proper Spanish like from from Spain. Um, Because I think when people think of Spanish, they just think of proper Spanish and it's really different. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted I wanted it to feel like home, like we're having a, a regular conversation. And even though I'm talking about uh, different things in our culture. I'm also talking about the things that I'm proud of, even the good and the bad, you know, the ugly, the in between. And, you know, like that's what make us all. I mean, we should be proud of where we come from. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and readers uh, like connected to, to um, this poem as well, just because of the like, the nuances in language. Um, and I loved, I loved seeing people's reaction um, to it. Can you tell us like what inspired you to write this poem and what makes it one of your favorite to perform? Um, well, when I wrote it, uh, I think I was just going through like missing home and, and just talking about like, what is it that I love about being Latinas? Like I love my hoops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Lynn and I, we were talking about this mm-hmm. the bigger the better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like one of those things that you can kind of just tell like you're Hispanic is from the hoops and all the bracelets you be wearing, the, the more, uh, sounds it make the more we like it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I definitely ooh, no go ahead I, I was gonna say I love it because um as somebody who was a big believer of you know 
allowing people to step into like your reality i feel like this poem did that so much um i am learning multiple in the process my clients are like you're gonna learn spanish and i have one who's mexican one who's ecuadorian and one who's dominican so i (laughs) i know just about they we have days they teach me one phrase about three different ways Mm so i'm working on it y'all um but i enjoy it because you know even hearing it from you and like passing you know when i you know show my friends or show the youth i work with different poetry seeing how it resonates with them and and they start to open up about yes like this is my culture this is my life this is where i come from and i feel like you know it just goes to show for writing it brings us all together even if you know you're not really native to what the person is talking about or native to that language so i just even you know as someone who you know does not speak the language i love it and i thank you for writing it because it just gives me a glimpse of your reality in your life you know and it helps to bring those conversations out that show you know we all have our culture we all have like you said what makes us us you know so i and every time i hear it i'm just like oh this is beautiful i love it (laughs) right thank you it was also my way of paying homage to you know my native tongue i I tend to shy away from using it because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not a, a true, you know, I, I'm like, I'm a Dominican American. Like, I don't know how to do math in Spanish. I don't fill out stuff in Spanish. I do everything in English. So this is my way of bringing that and just tapping back into my roots. So like limoncillos, limoncillos is what us Dominicans call the fruit Puerto Ricans will call it canepas so (laughs) yeah that's the thing about the Hispanic world that's why I said I wanted to write it like I was talking to like one of my folks and they knew what I was talking about versus writing it in a dialect that's like you know Spain Mm -hmm. proper dialect I feel like the other thing that just resonates so much is um I think often people overlook particularly Afro-Latina culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have women in my family who are Afro-Latina and I have uh, women who are African-American and there's parts of that poem that would resonate with both of them mm-hmm. and hit them um, in similar ways. So I think it also does this beautiful bridge between um just like recognizing the diaspora of of blackness right Right. and um i don't know if that was intentional but it's very powerful oh thank you uh yeah i mean i'm not just dominican i'm also haitian and that's why i put that there about the creole and the french bondage and then I'm not the typical Dominican looking kind. Like I'm, you know, I I don't have um, straight black hair. I don't, you know, I, I'm not light like my mother is. I have, you know, I have color. Um, my hair is curly. So I was like, no, I'm proud of what I am. Both, you know, Hispanic, Haitian, Afro-Latina, like, that's who I am and you should be too Mm -hmm. well um I love both of you so much and I do not want to say goodbye but before we say goodbye I would love to get people caught up 
on um, what's next for you. So we'll start with Astrid. Astrid, you have now published um, two books mm-hmm. in the matter of like a year. Yes. Which is crazy. <laughs> what's next for you? <laughs> Honestly, right now I've been trying to hone in on what I want my business to be because this this year I plan on forming my own LLC. thank you yes and I know part of that is going to be giving people like self-publishing courses and um I want to write something else but I'm just not sure on what that'll be just yet um so I'm kind of taking my time on that I've been publishing more like I've been trying to get in touch with my roots more and I have even considered of like doing a series for Afro Latinas um, under my own company. Um, I'm not sure if it'll just be a magazine or if it'll be an anthology, but that's one project that I have in the work. Yeah. Um, we will look forward to that. That's exciting. Yes. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of things, but right now is, is mostly on how do I grow my business and, you know, become a full-time entrepreneur. Because I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired of having to go into work and having to <laughs> help somebody else form their foundation. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm ready to do this on my own. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are ready, and we will certainly look out for that uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, Shay, what about you? What's coming up? Oh, boy. So right now, um, like I said, I'm trying to, not even trying, going through these submissions for the first anthology, um, working um, with my publisher, our publisher, Wide Eyes, um, to figure out, you know, because like anything else, it's an anthology series. So we're like, okay what are going to be, you know, the next few topics. And kind of like Astrid said, you know, a year, two years is, you know, for sometimes it seems like it's so far away, but it's very close at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like trying to be something I wasn't really in the past, strategic, you know, mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, I want to do this, this, and this, but it all, not to say it can't happen at the same time, but maybe we should just spread it out. Um I'm very fortunate enough to come from a, a creative family and a family that's very supportive. Um, so even my dad has, you know, kind of stepped in and been like, you know what, like maybe you should look at this and look at that. One of the things I'm actually working on now is I know I've shown you, my sister does some crazy art, mm-hmm. like some crazy, crazy art. So um, trying to, you know, even work with her to kind of dabble into, because not everyone wants to pick up a book. You know, I've come to realize that some people it's just like, you know, reading is not what they like in the aspect of like, they might love your poem on a canvas, they might like something that sounds dope in three lines. So trying to strategically find out all the different ways to be inspirational and poetic, maybe on different materials. So I actually invested in a heat press and vinyl cutter, which basically means I can make my own merchandise. That's um, awesome. Shay. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, and kind of like Astrid said, I decided, you know, I go, even though I love what I do every day at work, I realized that there's nothing better than knowing that you're doing something in your plan. Like the way I want to work with youth and the way I want to work with people, I have that in my head. 
And like, you know, exactly what Astrid said, I go in every day and build somebody else's dream and I want to build mine. You know, mm-hmm. I want to start laying down the foundation of, you know what I, I, cause I do, I, my big dream is to own my own facility where I can mentor and work with youth who are creative in the arts. Mm. And cause I feel like arts is not even, I feel arts is always what gets cut, you know? You know, yep. no one really is developing the, the person who can paint, who could draw, who can write, who wants to do film. So that's kind of what's coming up. And as we all know, I live in West Ishkabibble, New Jersey. I live in Nowhereville. <laughs> <laughs> I love it dearly. I do. I love my little suburbia town. I feel like I just got used to being in suburbia. Um, but, you know, what I feel like, um, and I got to give the shout out to Open Mic Renegades, what I feel like going to their open mic, you know, series has taught me is you can build a community anywhere you really can and so what I'm trying to do where I am right now is you know network with people where I live to bring that artistic form here because we don't have any open mics we don't have many creative you know formats or many creative platforms and I've already started you know working with some schools to form you know to formulate poetry clubs and art clubs and things like that and mentor these youth so I'm really excited because I like I said I've grown up and lived in my town in New Jersey Manchester Township all my life and I can honestly say I knew nothing about it which is very disappointing mm-hmm. you know and especially I'm a big person of community and I know nothing about my own backyard so trying to take the time to find out about where I live and what we need and trying to bring it right here and I think that's a big step for myself because I'm always someone who is willing to build everyone, just like I, I'm willing to build everyone. And 2019, I wanted to take this step to build myself, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing I'm working on in all aspects, not just business, mentality. Like I told y'all in our group, I got my first hater yesterday. I'm so proud. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so happy. I told my dad, I'm like, dad, I'm moving up through the world. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I got my first hated comment. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> He was like, you're crazy. I'm like, I know, but this is good. Um, so really, like I said, just just doing all that. But I can say this for all of us, for all you listeners. Um, 2019 is really like, this is the year. Like, what was it? 2017, it was lemons. 2018, it was lemonade. 2019, we are building lemonade stands. <laughs> Lynn, Asher, Cheyenne have lemonade stands. They ain't ready. I'm just letting them know. I'm just letting them know lemonade stands will be getting dropped. Well, uh, perfect thing <laughs> for me to talk about. You know, about I'm, y'all know I'm, I'm crazy, right? I don't know why y'all <laughs> You're not crazy, but I'm just, I'm just like, okay, let me talk about my lemonade stand <laughs> for 2019. She's just trying to be Asher Cheyenne, no Lynn. You got stands out here too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, before we close out, uh, I oh lord, I wrote a book and it comes out. Yes! On, yay! It comes out on February 5th. Um, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm ready for it to go out into the world. Um, I'm even more excited about the book release party, which is going to be, if you're in the New York area, definitely come check it out at Flower Power Coffee House. Um, Shay will be hosting and interviewing me. Um, Astrid will be performing um, and there will be a lot more of your favorite poets there. You'll be able to get a book early. Um, their first come first serve, so make sure you get there early. Um, and I am excited to getting this out. 
That's awesome. We can't wait to read it. I mean, so far from what we've been seeing, it it sounds like it's going to be a good one. So I'm excited to see it come out in the world. I am. I'm excited. I'm excited that, um, like I said, I I always say all the time, I'm I'm excited that we connected and that, you know, we can see each other grow even though we may not have been there like in the beginning beginning stages seeing where i met y'all and seeing what has transpired there's only up you know so i just want to say that too oh yes only up from here girl only up from here uh, for me i know my biggest challenge this year aside from my llc is i am planning on having my own solo show so that's going to be a big one where I am going to really tell the story of the Serpent's Rattle, but it'll be me performing it. So, oh my. That's oh going to be phenomenal. Yeah. So I'm once right. once I have all the details and everything, I'll share. But that's going to be my biggest challenge, my biggest, I guess, thing for me because whenever I perform it's just you know a couple pieces 10-15 minutes this is like a whole like segment <laughs> this is a whole different ball game here guys well your goals that's my one day but for now <laughs> I know like that's okay my 25 that's, that's, that's some vagina monologue stuff right, <laughs> right right like I wish you could see my face right now I'm sitting here like oh snap and I performed in them so I know those are long yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I will definitely come to Philly for that Astrid. No, oh, thank Let you. Us know when. Oh no, I'm coming. Yeah, we. I'm. Listen, I'm front row. They're gonna be like, "Who's she?" Be like, "That's my niece. She all right." <laughs> <laughs> you fit right in. You fit right in. <laughs> well, Astrid, I want to close out your podcast, so I'm gonna let you do the honors. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Remember to like, subscribe, tell your friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And until next, guys, with I mean, can we discuss? Catch you all later. that was a wrap for today thank you so much for listening to i mean can we discuss don't forget to subscribe follow us if you want to see what we're up to what projects we're up to and enjoy the rest of your day night wherever you might be i was your host asher ferguson signing off